In early 2022, the United Nations report on climate change again warned of the perils of inaction in the face of climate change acceleration. Yet while governments still debate on how to take on the crisis and routinely miss previously made commitments, many companies have taken the lead in setting and measuring their environmental and sustainability goals. In this episode, I'll speak with Ann Tracy, Vice President and Chief Sustainability Officer for Colgate-Palmolive, a global consumer products company whose history can be traced back over 200 years. Although most of us recognize the company for its toothpaste, they have a broad portfolio of personal care, home care, and pet nutrition products. Anne has a 30-plus year career at Colgate, moving from senior supply chain and manufacturing positions to taking on the responsibility for leading the company's sustainability, recycling, and climate change objectives. We'll discuss how the company establishes, manages, and measures these goals, how Colgate-Palmolive has created an industry-leading recyclable toothpaste tube, and the importance of innovation in realizing recycling and sustainability objectives on a global scale. And welcome to our podcast series. Thanks so much, John. I'm pleased to be here. And why don't we give our listeners a little bit of your background and maybe mm-hmm. talk about your education and more specifically, what inspired you to focus on sustainability and the environment? Sure. So I'm Anne Tracy, the Chief Sustainability Officer of Colgate Palmolive. And I've been at Colgate a long time. I'm on my 31st year, actually, way back when, when I, I studied mechanical engineering. I actually have a master's in engineering. And following that, I joined Colgate. And hopefully your listeners know a little bit about Colgate. You've probably heard of the toothpaste. We also make personal care, home care, and pet care products. And we have been focused in the sustainability space for over two decades. And during that time, um, while I was working at Colgate, I grew up in the supply chain. And that's actually where our sustainability program, I, I think, kind of emerged from, focused much on the environmental side and eventually graduated to climate targets. So I've been kind of part of that program evolution over the past couple of decades at Colgate so when our chief supply chain officer asked me to come about five, six years ago to lead global sustainability and supply chain strategy, I said yes, because I thought that was a perfect intersection of my background and where the world needs to go. The space of sustainability has really blossomed or really become hyper important over the last five years. And I'm very proud to be representing Colgate in that space right now and helping Colgate play its part in addressing some of these critical global issues. Plus, I have four Gen Z kids, so they're always telling me to work on this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm often inspired to make changes in my life by seeing that my faces of my grandchildren now and thinking about how I want to see the world as they grow up. One of the things that I noted about, about, about Colgate, what I found fascinating in doing some research that earlier this year, Barron's publishes a list of 100 most sustainable U.S. companies. And I noted that Colgate Palmolive was ranked 13th, up dramatically right. from 2021, from 41st to 13th. You're ahead of several of your peer companies like Kimberly Clark and Procter & Gamble. But all those consumer product companies seem to be making big leaps forward in sustainability. Is a lot of that being driven not only from the reality of global warming and what have you, but also the consumers are now demanding this of their consumer product companies. 
Yeah, I guess what I would tell you is that you're absolutely right. CPG companies, well, all companies, all industry sectors, but in particular, the consumer products companies have been at this for some time. And and we've been on the journey because we do have growing pressure from many stakeholders, including consumers, but also investors, NGOs, and the stakeholder I like to say is one of our most important is our own employees pressuring us to do this. But there is growing awareness and demand from consumers, particularly consumers who are millennial and Gen Z and younger, are putting pressure on companies and even making decisions on which brands they purchase based on what the companies are doing or not doing, which we haven't seen that in the past, and we're starting to see that. I know it's been challenging historically to see consumers change their behavior, but even now where we're seeing consumers really focusing on what's recyclable and looking at the circular economy where perhaps at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll be using refillable containers and, and really make a huge push on waste reduction. And I noted that as an example from the manufacturing side, the company Colgate has made huge strides in creating zero waste facilities around the world. Right, right. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about our zero waste journey, which we're pretty excited about it. I think it's very important. We have a large manufacturing footprint all over the world, and we partner with the USGBC, which is the same group, States Green Building Council, who do LEED certification of buildings Mm -hmm. and cities around the world. They started a program called True Zero Waste Certification about five years ago now. We had already been working on this at our site, and there's a, a long list of 30 to 40 criteria you have to meet in order to get certified, but the very simple way I describe it is that in order for a site to be true zero-waste certified, they have to reduce the amount of waste from that site that goes to landfill to less than 10%, and they have to hold it for one year minimum before they can get the certification. And if you think about some of these manufacturing sites and just, I don't know how many of your listeners have been to a manufacturing site, but there's a lot of stuff that goes through, you know, in making products. But our operations who, again, our sustainability program grew up in our supply chain, actually embraced this program and it became kind of a, a competitive challenge for them internally. And they start the process by doing what we call a dumpster dive. So, Most manufacturing sites have bays off the back where we have dumpsters that sit and all the junk that they don't use goes into that. Sure. They take these dumpsters, they dump it on the ground, and they take a whole day off of manufacturing to just sort through it. And they pick through all this and decide what they can reduce, reuse, recycle, and basically just get rid of. So one of our first sites that got certified went from something like five dumpsters leaving the site per week to about four per month. And that's a significant reduction. Wow. It also saves money, which is great, and just a significant reduction in the amount of waste coming out of the site. It's up to you whether you want to dump your trash out, but you, you can start thinking about, gee, what can I use less of? What can I reuse? What can I recycle? So these, this, that's a behavior you can use at home as well. Yeah, and I think, you know... And the- now we have 70, I think we have about 75 percent of our sites are certified and we're going to have 100 percent by 2025. You brought up an excellent point and that is it's smart business. If you can reduce waste, typically you're also 
reducing costs. You're putting less in the landfill. Right, right. Yeah, and then not only that, but a lot of waste that's generated in facilities, once it's recycled, sometimes, as in I, I was in the paper port packaging business, recycled material has a value. So it made sense for us right. to, to bail it, bind it, separate it, so that a recycler can come in and, and give us the most money for it. So yes, it, I think it's, it's an important aspect in any manufacturing facility, but it's interesting because you mentioned also, how do we take that behavior that you as a large business is doing? And we bring that into our own home, right? And we want to reduce the amount of waste that we create mm-hmm. on our own. And that's that challenge to change consumer behavior. One of the things that I noted, which I was very excited to read, was about the packaging. And your, the company's now created a, re, a recyclable toothpaste tube. And I'd like you to walk me through the challenges of that and how your company's actually sharing the technology with the industry. Yeah, I love talking about our recyclable tube. I love telling the story. So first, to just let everybody know, Colgate, our revenues between 17 and $18 billion. We're not as big as some of the other CPG companies out there, but our Colgate brand is the highest household penetrated brand in the world, meaning the Colgate brand is in more homes than any other six out of 10 households. So the world consumes about 20 billion toothpaste tubes or tubes of toothpaste every year. And we make a little over 9 billion of that. And that, that, that goes out into the world. That's a lot of tubes of toothpaste. Mm. So as the world's leader in oral health, we took it upon ourselves to say, okay, if we're going to achieve our target to be 100% recyclable, compostable or reusable by 2025, we've got to tackle the toothpaste too because that's a large part of our business. We need to leave that for the industry. So it actually took us a number of years to, to get it right. We started back around 2015 to design a mono material recyclable. It's made out of HDPE tube. We chose HDPE because that's a plastic that's like your milk bottle plastic or your fabric softener plastic that would go into an existing stream that we already have infrastructure for out there, which we do. Most recyclers take HDPE. Mm-hmm. And we also wanted that tube to not be a major change for the consumer. We wanted it to look and feel like a squeezable toothpaste tube. And, you know, HDPE is typically a very rigid plastic. So we had to work on the technology to get the layers of that plastic right so it felt like a squeezable tube. And finally, most importantly, it had to have the same properties to preserve the fluoride levels and the flavor levels inside the toothpaste tube. So to get all that right took a number of years in, in developing that technology. Just so your listeners know that the old toothpaste tube, to meet all that criteria, actually had a layer of aluminum inside. So different types of plastic sandwiching a layer of aluminum. So that's why your old tube's not recyclable because it's mixed materials, metal and plastic. So that's not recyclable. So once we got it right, we make most of our own tubes globally. So we had to invest in a lot of the equipment to change the way we make our tubes. So that's actually the limiting factor. It's taking us several years to roll it out around the world. By the end of this year, I think the U.S. will be close to 70, 75% implemented as well as Europe. And we started with U.S. and Europe because we have the recycling infrastructure there first, but we're rolling it out everywhere. But then we said to ourselves, 
it doesn't do any good if only Colgate had recyclable tubes. We need the whole industry to move with us. So that's why we chose to share the technology. So we've talked in over 50 different venues to a number of companies, including some of our competitors, to share that technology. And now most of those other major uh, toothpaste manufacturers have also made the same commitment to move to the recyclable tube by 2025. That's an, an amazing story. And certainly, I think when our listeners heard the sheer volume of tubes that are consumed worldwide, it's a meaningful impact knowing, having been in the packaging business, that whenever you have multi-layered materials, it raises all sorts of issues for the recyclers and creating a single material that can be used in the same fashion is absolutely brilliant. And that's where innovation comes in throughout the supply chain. It all comes together in order to create a healthier ecosystem in terms of manufacturing. And and speaking of that, let's talk about energy consumption, because I think I had seen that in addition, obviously, to waste reduction, it's also about using green energy. Can you tell us a little bit about what what the company's doing for green energy? Sure. We were one of the first companies to get science-based targets initiative approved. Science-based targets were defined by a group of a combination of a number of NGOs. And they are actually globally respected as the standards for climate targets. And more and more companies are getting their science-based targets approved. And so we initially got a set of targets approved in 2017, then we renewed them in 2020. And actually, we just resubmitted again for a third time to get our net zero carbon targets approved. So we have a target to be net zero carbon by 2040. And we have some interim targets to get there, like becoming 100% renewable electricity at all our sites by 2030. And then backing into that interim targets, including engaging our suppliers in that journey. So just overall reducing our emissions and our utility usage. And we've been doing that since we started measuring in 2002. So we've done a lot of reduction and reduction is key. So We are on a journey. We're excited to get our science-based targets approved once again. And I do think it's important that in this alphabet soup, as they say, of different sustainability standards and taxonomies and protocols around the world, the one that's actually globally recognized are these science-based targets. I think close to eight or 9,000 companies now have, have submitted to get approved targets through SBTI. When I hear politicians talking about uh, proposed legislations, they often bring that up, and that it's these scientific-based protocols and, and targets, And which amazes me that we're here we are, we're talking in the summer of 2022, the world is going through this incredible heat wave of historic proportions, and yet we can't seem to get, right. we can't seem to get uh, meaningful climate change legislation going. I'm confused as to what If not now, then what will drive the necessary changes before it becomes too late? But I'm thrilled to see that despite all the efforts of governments, who's leading the charge here oftentimes are private companies who are saying, wait a minute, we need to do this because we see a connection between sustainability, the environment, and having a positive social impact on the world. There was a recent Colgate-Palmolive, and it's not just a sustainability report anymore. It also is the title Sustainability and Social Impact Report. And I guess the company sees a huge connection between the two. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so we we rolled out our 2025 strategy, which we call our Sustainability and Social Impact Strategy. 
at the beginning of 2021. It's our 2025 strategy and beyond because we have those climate targets that I mentioned that go beyond 2025. But most of that strategy is anchored in targets we've set for ourselves for 2025. And the way it's framed is we have three what I call ambition pillars, driving social impact, helping millions of homes, and preserving our environment. And driving social impact is about health and wellness, first and foremost, of our own employees, which has been absolutely critical over the past couple of years with COVID. It's around strengthening our diversity, equity, and inclusion across the world globally. And then finally, it's about one space that's very important to us socially is to improve the oral health hygiene and education for children around the world, particularly in underserved communities. We have a program called Bright Smiles, Bright Futures, which we it's actually 30 years old and We have programs where we go into schools and we have dental vans where we're reaching children, again, where they need it. And we've reached 1.4 billion children so far, and we have a target to get to 2 billion kids. So over a long period of time, but now with digital reach and teledentistry, we can do more. So that's an important social program for us. Helping millions of homes is around innovation and designing more sustainable products and in a way that helps people, consumers, be more sustainable at home. And then finally, preserving our environment are all the things we were just talking about, eliminating plastic waste, accelerating action on climate, the zero waste efforts that we talked about, and responsible sourcing and conserving water. One of the things that most consumers don't recognize is that when part of responsible sourcing, as an example, I know there was a there's a lot been written about palm oil, where paper pulp comes mm-hmm. from. And there's a huge mm-hmm. impact on local populations when you do sustainable harvesting and sustainable sourcing, where we're not deforesting an area in order to plant palm trees to create palm oil. And, and there's a, typically a, a, a quality of life issue where around the world, like especially in Southeast Asia, where areas of, of rainforest have been totally decimated and then replanted for farming and creating areas that are are now barren of any ecosystem that was there prior. So even though we hear about sustainable sourcing and responsible sourcing, a lot of people don't really see the impact. But when you read about how you create a healthy environment for people in these areas, it's a huge win for the world, what it comes down to. Mm. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's where all these kind of efforts around biodiversity, nature, and human rights all come together, which really kind of is what you mentioned before, the connection between sustainability and social impact. So we can talk about palm for a minute. Palm oil is a ubiquitous ingredient that is used in more things than people would realize, and the derivatives of palm oil in many of the consumer products and foods that you interact with every day have palm in them somehow. But if you step back for a minute, palm oil is actually one of the most efficient oils or ingredients with that type of property compared to many other ingredients around the world. You can get you know, the best yield per acre, if you will, of that ingredient. So the question is, how do you do that in a sustainable way? And most of the palm is comes from Southeast Asia. The other big use for palm oil is for, it's, it's used for cooking oil across Asia, India, China, and, and the like. And consumer products companies use, I think, roughly a 
third of the world's palm oil for their product. And if traders and suppliers can't sell to us, they'll sell it to Asia as cooking oil. Mm -hmm. There has been a lot of pressure on big brands to make sure we're sourcing sustainably in that region and that we can use the power of our brands to transform the industry, which we're trying to do, honestly, very transparently. That's what we're trying to do. We're part of the Consumer Goods Forum, um, which is a large trade association bringing together most of you know, the majority of the CPG companies and retailers that actually have brands that use palm oil. And we, you know, we're working together and that's the journey we're on is to try to transform the whole industry. And we're doing a lot of things like we're part of RSPO where we buy certified palm. We are using technology such as satellite monitoring to ensure that our traders or who we buy from are actually, um, adhering and complying to the sustainable sourcing. But it, I will tell you, it's not easy. And it's because the supply chain is a very complex one. So there's big traders and suppliers, but that they often purchase ultimately from tens of thousands of smallholder farmers. And, it, you know, it is it is a livelihood for people. But the, the trick is, how do we do this in a controlled, responsible way that doesn't... Uh, destroy the ecosystem and the biodiversity, right. and most importantly, to make sure that we're not violating human rights and community rights. So it's a complex topic, I will tell you. No, I can only imagine. And as you said, it's a journey. It's not something that you can flip a switch and it changes overnight. As you say, you're trying to transform a mm-hmm. whole industry. And you know the whole idea of creating a chain of custody mm-hmm. so that you understand who's handing off what to whom. So I applaud the efforts there on that. So a couple of last questions for you, Anne. Is there advice or insight you like to share with leaders and entrepreneurs, especially anyone doing a startup, in terms of your advice relative to sustainability and the environment? Yeah, we often talk about, it's almost a little bit cliche, but no one company can do it alone. You know, we have to work together. And coopetition or something like that, I think is the word. We also have to work with NGOs and we have to work with key partners that will help us to progress some of these big challenges as well. It's going to take, and you said not just leaders, but entrepreneurs, it's going to take new technology. It's going to take technology that doesn't exist today for things like carbon capture or perhaps future substitutes for palm. I don't know. And new materials for packaging. So, we are part of, a, for instance, a group called 100 Plus Accelerator, which was started a couple of years ago by AB InBev, which cultivates startup companies with new ideas that span across all the spaces we talked about, mm-hmm. from packaging to responsible sourcing to climate technologies to social kind of community type of initiatives. And we're very happy to be participating in that. So AB InBev invited other companies to now Unilever, Coca-Cola, Colgate, and AB InBev work together. And our latest, I think we're on the fourth cohort. We're about to start the fourth cohort Mm -hmm. of inviting startups to bring their ideas to our 100 plus accelerator. And we've had, I think, over 1,700 entries. And then we 
kind of work together to decide who we'll move forward with. And, you know, we provide funding and mentorship for these companies. So it's a wonderful way to get kind of new technology to the forefront that's going to be needed for the future. That's a fantastic initiative and quite frankly fits in with the whole theme of the necessity to have innovation and invention in order to change things for the better for the environment. So, Anne, what one word describes who you are? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this, and <laughs> I, I was struggling with it. And <laughs> so when you ask me that, the first thing that comes to mind is wife, mom, professional, all these sister, <laughs> daughter, <laughs> all these things. But I guess I would just boil it down to two words, sustainable mom. That's what I decided I would go with. <laughs> I would say there's nothing wrong with that sustainable mom, you know, but you also use the word focus. And I have to say, you know, listening to you speak about it and you're very focused on the topics that are important to you. Being a mom, a sister and the chief sustainability officer are all things that require a deep focus in order to make things better in this world, I think. That's exactly right. And there's a lot to do, but you have you have to, you know, figure out where to start, and you can't do it all at once, but identify what's most important and focus on that first. Well, thank you for that, Anne, and thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate all of your knowledge and insights. Thank you. Thank you. During our interview, we learned that focusing on environmental and sustainability issues is good for business. If you reduce waste, you're saving costs. When you make more sustainable products whose packaging is recyclable, you're generally acknowledged and rewarded by consumers, stakeholders, and shareholders. For example, millennials, Gen Z, and younger consumers are putting pressure on companies and even deciding which brands they purchase based on what the companies are doing or not doing about issues important to them. And discuss the importance of working with third-party organizations such as Science-Based Targets Initiative, the GBC, the Green Building Council, and LEAD, the Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, when developing their environmental and climate action targets. We heard how Colgate brand is in six out of 10 households across the globe. They produce nearly 45% of the 20 billion toothpaste tubes sold in the world. So because of their scale, even small changes make a huge impact. That's why making a recyclable toothpaste tube was so important. And given their market position, they're sharing the technology with the industry. We discussed Colgate's 2025 Sustainability and Social Impact Strategy, anchored in its core pillars of driving social impact, preserving the environment and battling climate change, and improving oral health through its Bright Smile, Bright Futures program. The goals and discussed are ambitious and a stretch to achieve, but that's why they have a meaningful impact. We talked about the importance of innovation to achieve many of the world's climate change and sustainability objectives that will require new technologies that don't currently exist. That's why they're members of the 100 Plus Accelerator, a unique partnership of major beverage and consumer product companies to fund and pilot sustainable innovation in supply chains. This program offers size and scale to help passionate entrepreneurs solve pressing global challenges and accelerating bringing solutions to market faster. And what term did she use to describe herself? Sustainable mom, with a passionate focus on making things better in the world. Well said, Anne. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and valuable insights.
This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The interim dean of the School of Management and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Until next time.